The reading for us today is from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, and can be found on page 1036 in the Red Bibles. It's Luke 7, verses 36 to 50, on page 1036 in the Red Bibles. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the, Pharisees, when, the, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has sown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, it was indeed. A last call for youngsters. If you have them and you want to head out to groups there, um, do. Uh, and we're going to take a look at this passage, is what I was saying. Um, uh, just as the next part of our Encounters uh, with Jesus series, as Tim and Debbie have been introducing for us and saying to us, um, there's a the kind of key word in the middle of this passage really running the way through, which is about seeing and about sight um, uh, and how we see and what we see. Um, and really the, the question that um, I guess for, sort of underlies what's going on here, and perhaps if you're only sort of investigating the Christian faith or thinking about it at the moment, is uh, how confident are you in your perception of the world? How confident are you in your sight, your sense of your judgment of the world, of the people around you, of, of how things are? 
It's been nicely illustrated recently um, uh, by an ad. I imagine some of you have seen this. Uh, it's been doing the rounds on social media. Um, I'm going to play a short clip of it. You'll kind of catch it as it goes. Um, so we'll play it. Quite clever, isn't it? Um, I don't know what your, whether you've seen that before or not, whether, what your instincts were when you saw the first run of it, uh, what your perception, and did it change? Was, how much were you sort of, what was going on internally? You thought, oh, I wasn't expecting that, or maybe you were. How confident are you in your perception of the world? I should say other mobile networks are available, by the way. It's not like we sponsor one of them here, but, um, uh, or are sponsored by them. Although, you know, we'd take any offers, I guess. Um, uh, but... How confident are you in your perception of the world? It's really what's underlying this encounter with Jesus, particularly between uh, the two people that Tim uh, talked about, uh, the man, the Pharisee, Simon, and uh, the woman um, uh, that is uh, depicted in the um, account. We're going to have to look at three things uh, as we go through. Jesus sees how we see, very quickly um, begins to unpick how we see. Jesus challenges how we see, um, and then Jesus sees you differently. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, just, um, let's kind of just recount some of what um, happened. Jesus, firstly, Jesus sees how we see. So the setting is a meal. It's uh, in the Pharisee, Simon's house, um, uh, and Jesus is invited to have dinner with him. Verse 36, a woman uh, in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping uh, uh, as she stood behind him. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. So the same question, I guess, is put, what is it you see This meal setting, the woman who is there, what do you see? The Pharisee sees somebody who is cut off from God. The Pharisee's verdict, judgment, someone who is removed from a sort of relationship with God. Jesus sees someone 
who could relate to him. It's quite a contrast in their perception of what is going on. Pharisees someone, see someone who's cut off from God. Jesus sees someone who could relate to him, who does relate to him. It's a little bit like, it's an old idea, the glass half empty or half full. Um, I don't know what kind of personality you are, but the idea that there is, uh, you know, as you see this, what do you see instinctively? Do you see a glass that is, you know, it's, it's half empty, it's lacking, it's, it's, uh, there's a deficit there? Or do you see a glass that is half full? Uh, what's your perspective? It's a, an old phrase, and it's the same idea here with the Pharisee. The Pharisee sees in the woman somebody who is lacking. She's a sinful woman. If, uh, if only uh, he knew what kind of woman she was. Now, it's, it's really interesting because the, the text doesn't tell us anything about why she was called a sinful woman or, or thought to be a sinful woman. We're not told about the reasons for it. Now, you may have made some assumptions yourself. And if you're honest with yourself, you may have thought, well, I suspect it's probably to do with relationships. Uh, It might be the instinct that you have. But there's nothing in the account that tells us that exactly. It could have been that. Uh, It might have been related to debts that she was in, uh, given the rest of the account. It might have been that she was married to somebody who was of dishonorable reputation, a number of reasons it could be, but we make assumptions and we jump quickly, so our, our own assumptions are at play here, and we may see the woman, as the Pharisee does, somebody who is lacking. There is a deficit, there is something missing. She's cut off from God, can't relate to him, but Jesus sees differently, as the passage will make clear as we go through, sees someone who could relate to God, and in fact does relate to God's. But it's the um, internal monologue that we get, the internal conversation that the Pharisee is having with himself in verse 39 that really helps unpack this. Because in verse 39, the Pharisee is speaking to himself. Do you see? So he invited, uh, when, when he saw what had happened, he, he says to himself, a sort of conversation you have in your head, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And can you see he's doing two things at once? He's saying, well... He thinks he sees the woman very clearly. So, of course, everyone knows this. And if you knew what the woman was like, you wouldn't be doing this. But he also, can you see, thinks he sees Jesus very clearly. Because he says, if this man was really a prophet, he would know. Now, what is going on there? Can you see what's happening at that point? The Pharisee has put himself in the sort of judgment seat. He's got exactly what in mind what he thinks the woman is like. And in fact, he's got a verdict on Jesus and what he thinks Jesus is like. It's a little bit like, uh, I guess, sort of being in an outdoors somewhere where you are just sort of sat on a, or stood on a, a prow of a hill, perhaps just a hillside, where you think you can see everybody else better than they can because of the vantage point that you have. So standing there, it's a little bit higher than everyone else on a little hillside. I don't know if you find yourself doing that. In life, you sort of see the, the circumstances of other people and you go, I, I don't think they should be doing that. Or I think they're, they're clearly making a mistake over there. You know, that sort of sense of, I'm just a little bit higher up than the rest of you. I can see what's going on. But for the Pharisee, can you see he's, he's there, he's on his little hilltop. And not only can he see the woman and the others around him, but he can also see Jesus. I wonder if that's the position we find ourselves in at times, where we're sort of stood there and we can see and we think, 
Jesus, if you knew better, you'd actually make a better decision than you have done in my life. I don't really understand, Jesus, why you don't get it. But if you did, you might have a better take on what's going on for me. And we just step up that little hill, and not only do we have a verdict on others, but we have a verdict on Jesus and what he's doing. We have a verdict on God and how he's running the world or how he's running our own life. And Jesus says to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon, I have something to tell you, which is really him saying, I can see what is going on here. I know that you are, because Simon's having this internal monologue and Jesus responds to it. He's saying, I know what's going on here. I can see your view of this woman. I can see your view of me. I have something to tell you. Jesus sees how we see. He sees our, how we judge things. He sees our perception. He sees that we think we're kind of, we can see better than everyone else. And he says, I've got something to tell you. Jesus sees how we see. Jesus challenges how we see. He then introduces this story, uh, one of his little um, parables, if you like. Um, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Uh, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. Uh, let's put it in a little bit of context. So he's got two people he's imagining both owe debts, and there's a sort of tenfold difference. And both of them have their debts forgiven. And he's saying, well, you know, what, what would be your response to that? Um, it's a little bit like, there's a tenfold difference, and given the sort of amounts we're talking about, let's imagine that um, the one person, imagine you were somebody who, you have a car loan, uh, or you, you, know, you, you're sort of, you owe for your car, uh, the cost of a car, several thousand pounds, and someone comes along to you and says, do you know, I'm just going to write that off for you. Don't worry, you just carry on driving your car. It's free to you now. Your debt is paid. It's all done. Now, you'd be pretty pleased, wouldn't you? The tenfold increase, imagine you're somebody who has a mortgage, you owe for a house, you've got a long time to pay it off, somebody comes along to you and says, uh, I'm going to just wipe out your mortgage debts. It's all done. House is yours, you can live in it, it's all paid for. Now, you'd be pretty thrilled, wouldn't you? Even, you'd be pretty thrilled if someone came and paid your car loan off. But if someone came and paid your house off, you'd be like, that's astonishing. And that's the kind of scale of the debts that uh, Jesus is talking about in imagining. And, and so rightly, Simon says, well, of course, the one who's had the bigger debt is going to be more pleased. But I wonder if you can see what Jesus is doing. He's, just, he's, he's trying to change their perspective for a moment. He's saying, rather than, Simon, you being, imagine that you're, you, you seem to think you're the one who sort of stood on the hill and you can see everyone else. But what if the world isn't that way? What if actually you're somebody who is in debt and there is somebody else at the center, there is the money lender at the center, there is God, the one who owns everything. And in fact, you are somebody who owes him. Now, it may be that you owe the value of a car. It may be you owe a great deal. You owe the value of a house. You're somebody who relates to him. So you're not actually, he says to Simon, in the center. You're over here and, and the degree to which you are over here you need to see and sense that actually there is somebody else at the center of the universe and it's not you, and that you relate to him like they relate to the moneylender. And actually when you see how much you've been given, it changes your perspective. Sometimes, sometimes you kind of see something and it just it flips the way you think about the world. It's what Jesus is trying to do for Simon. Um, I, I love seeing maps. You come, occasionally come across an interesting map. Um, this is a, a map of the world. 
Um, it's uh, one of the projections which kind of evens out the, the actual size of the continents, so you can see uh, the relative size of the continents in the world. Um, it's also upside down. Um, now, there's no reason why our map should be the right way up. Uh, it's just how we do things. But actually, if you put the map, because you think about it, we're, we're moving through space, you uh, put the map this way up, uh, I bet most of you are trying to figure out where your country is on there. And why on earth are we not even, even distinguishable in Britain down the bottom there? And why does it suddenly seem like Africa and South America are really quite dominant and important? It's quite a change of perspective, isn't it? When you see a map that way up. And Jesus is trying to do that for the Pharisees. He's saying, look, you, you think you're living with this perspective that you know everything and that you judge the woman and you judge me, but he says, actually, let's turn this around. Let's imagine there is somebody else at the center of the universe, my father, says Jesus, and you relate to him, and actually the degree to which you understand that you relate to him will change the way that you view the world. And the Pharisee grudgingly says, so I suppose the one who had the bigger debt is the one who will feel uh, the greater forgiveness and will love him more. And he says, you have judged correctly. You've seen correctly. But he's trying to push Simon and say, look, do you, how well do you see? Jesus sees how we see. He sees what we do. He's challenging how we see and saying, really, Simon? Is it really your assessment of the world? And then lastly, Jesus sees you differently because he then turns and see what he does in verse 44. He turns towards the woman and he speaks to Simon. He turns towards the woman, looks at the woman, and speaks to Simon, and says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I've said this many times before, the most profound questions in the Bible are the simple ones. Do you see this woman? Simon, what is it you see? What is going on in your hearts? How are you evaluating you and God and this woman and what is going on? Simon, it turns out, didn't love God very much at all. The woman, it turns out, does. So he says, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Simon actually didn't love very much at all. There was no uh, hospitality in the culture of the day, even the basics to provide uh, water to wash uh, your feet. As Tim was saying earlier, to, uh, to welcome somebody uh, with a greeting and a kiss didn't do any of those things. So proud was he, so happily sitting on the top of his hill, looking down on everyone else. The woman, however, has shown all of these things, has brought her tears to wet his feet, has brought this uh, expensive perfume for him, has kissed uh, and welcomed him and shown him the kind of hospitality. And it speaks of her great love for him. And what Jesus is introducing is this idea. It's how he sees the woman is so different to how Simon sees the woman. Jesus sees not what the sinner was, but what the sinner can be. 
Jesus sees not what the sinner was, but what the sinner can be. He says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Um, that phrase and what he's talking about, your sins are forgiven, it's, uh, the way it's, it's put, it's talking about something that began some time ago. It's like saying you are in a state of forgiveness. That is where you exist now. I hold you, says Jesus, in a state of forgiveness. You are, you are forgiven, not just that there was a point in the past, but you are in a state of forgiveness. And that's what he says her great love shows. He shows, it shows how much she has responded out of that sense of forgiveness. And there's a link he makes between our love for others and our sense that we have been forgiven. And it's just an interesting one to reflect on for a moment. It's partly about that sense of positioning. If we think we are here at the center, looking down on everyone else, we have very little reason to love others. If we sense that we are over here and we relate to God and God has forgiven us a vast amount, actually the humility that brings, it puts us in a position where we think, actually God has done this much for me and I'm right over here on the edge of things and nobody. And the, the fact that he has done that for me means that anybody else that I meet, I can demonstrate a kind of love for them, an openness to them. Who am I to claim some great status in life? I'm somebody who's had the, the greatest debt wiped out. So I'm, when I meet a fellow traveler, I can extend to them that kind of hospitality, that kind of warmth, that kind of love. Do you see, that's what the woman is, uh, is showing. That's what Jesus sees in her. And he makes that link. Jesus sees how we see, and he challenges how we see, but he sees differently. He sees the woman in ways that are completely different to Simon. There are two questions I think I want to leave you with to take home from this. The first one is this. How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? It's a question to ponder this week. It's very hard for us, I think, not to find ourselves sort of just climbing up that hill and sort of looking down on other people. And it's very hard not to bring Jesus into that. And so we assess what we think he's doing in our lives and we call him out when we think he's getting it wrong and we, you know, give a verdict that we don't think he's got it right. It's a humbling thing and a difficult thing to put ourselves and say, actually, I'm, I'm in a place of I have received forgiveness and mercy from Jesus. And so I humbly see what his will is for me. I humbly reflect on what he might have for my life. How do you see Jesus? And if you're somebody who is trying to figure out the Christian faith, it's one of the key questions to ask. How do you see Jesus? Second question. How do you think Jesus sees you? How do you think Jesus sees you? I know you well enough, most of you, to know, you know we're very hard on ourselves a lot of the time. And I've, I've, I've had a number of conversations recently with those who I feel just uh, have really been struggling with faith in different ways. And I wonder if our sense and we feel that Jesus looks at us as though we are a glass half empty. I wonder if we feel like Jesus looks at us and says, 
Well, you're lacking again, aren't you? There's this deficit there. Is it really that low in the glass again? Many of us carry, I know from talking with people, we carry that sense that actually that's our, our sense that that must be how Jesus views us. Like a glass that is lacking, that is in deficits the whole time. And we're desperately hoping there's just about enough in there to keep us just about half or over. I wonder if you can see that's not how Jesus sees you and me. It's really not how he approaches the woman here. I wonder if we, we feel in that that our sense of forgiveness was an event somewhere in the past and we worry that it's not valid now. That, yes, there was some joyous moment where we sense God's forgiveness, but surely there, there was a kind of clock that was running out on that. And actually, the way Jesus approaches the woman here is not that way at all. Actually, Jesus sees not a glass that is lacking, but he sees the potential for how he will fill her up. A potential for how her, his forgiveness of her will overflow in her life that it will change who she is. He sees the potential in her. He sees the, the state of forgiveness that extends into the future and ultimately into eternity. I often reflect that we've just worked our way through Revelation. Jesus has astonishing things in store for those who trust and follow him. An eternity in which I think we will marvel at each other. And we do well to remember that. Jesus sees you and me in a state of forgiveness and into a future that he is making for us. So if that is you, I wonder, would you reflect on that question this week? How do you think Jesus sees you? I suspect many of us carry around mentally a half-empty glass. And that is not how Jesus sees this woman. It's not how, not how he sees you uh, or me. He sees the potential. He sees this, somebody who could love greatly and does so here. Now, how can we say that? If you think about just even to go back to the setting of the meal, uh, the Pharisees, those who are there, the woman comes in, uh, if in any way you sort of felt the awkwardness of that, imagine the shame that would have been in the room, the sense of uh, people looking at Jesus, going, why are you entertaining this woman? Yeah, it's, a, it's a bit dodgy, it's a bit uncertain, unsure. And Jesus is willing to bear the shame of that moment, even just the heat of the, of the eyes of the Pharisees on him, to say, look, I welcome this woman. And he's willing to, to bear that shame, to say, I'm prepared to defend this woman in front of all of you. And it's a, a little taste, it's just a little picture of what his life would lead him to. We'll remember in a moment as we share bread and wine, it'll lead him to the cross where he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to bear that shame, a horrible, horrible shameful death in the eyes of the people of the day that I might defend those who will put their trust in me. I wonder how you see Jesus. I wonder how you think Jesus sees you. It's a good time to reflect as we share bread and wine in just a moment. Um, I'm going to pause. Uh, let's take a moment to reflect and then we'll, uh, we'll join together in prayer and then, uh, as I say, we'll share bread and wine.